0: Welcome to the Nonprofit Hub Radio Podcast, where we highlight nonprofit innovators, leaders, and influencers every week that are changing the sector for the better. I'm your host, Delaney Mullenix, Executive Director of Nonprofit Hub. If you're not for profit and all for purpose, you're in the right place. You see, we know you're already doing good, but we've designed this podcast to help nonprofit professionals find growth, joy, and connection. So tune in weekly for new episodes to elevate your cause, spread the news, and share the resources we share with you.
1: We'd like to thank DonorBox for sponsoring today's episode of the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast. DonorBox is the online fundraising engine of choice for over 50,000 organizations in 96 countries. Their intuitive fundraising software was designed with your donors in mind. Go to DonorBox.org to sign up today. That's D-O-N-O-R-B-O-X dot O-R-G.
0: Hello, everyone. Delaney Mullinex here with the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast. In this episode, I speak with Kari Brown. He is the Executive director at Spark the Journey. And he was actually Spark the Journey's first and only paid team member um, for at least one full year before they started growing their team. And in this podcast episode, we talk about not only how Spark the Journey leveraged the power of volunteers to become successful, but also how Kari was able to grow Spark the Journey using his passion and what he knows about nonprofit leaderships, including working with your board and working with all of these amazing volunteers volunteers stay tuned you guys are going to love this episode to help us get to know you a little bit better what was your favorite memory from playing and coaching basketball I know that you actually played was it a professional league that you played in
2: I played in a professional league in Finland in the mid-90s so it was you know not the NBA by any means Um, I played a a division three college um Tufts University in the Boston area and I was an assistant high school coach also in the in the Boston area um you know as I said sports you know had a huge impact on my life and there's so many great memories of you know specific moments but I think the thing I think about and miss the most are really are like the practices and and competing and being with teammates um, but also as a coach, um, teaching
1: mm-hmm.
2: and working with young people on and off the court, really. You know, a lot of times it was off the court and driving someone home from practice and talking to them. But, you know, sports can give you lessons in life and yeah. and um a framework for, you know, how to approach success and failure. Yeah. And and so those were things that really were helpful to me and um you know as i said sort of guided the way of shaped the way in which um i've approached you know my work in education and working with young people
0: yeah absolutely i i heard you say at the beginning of that that one of the the best things about being involved in sports is that it kind of creates a sense of community um and that you kind of have this network and family of people who you spend so much time with practicing and being with and playing with and going through like tough times, like when you're training or learning something. And that's something that I think is so applicable to other work is that anything you do takes practice. Um, any type of professional development that you're doing, you just need to practice it. And I think some people just want to pick it up right away and like do it right away. But even as early, like in elementary school, when you start learning sports, it's the same thing. You just have to practice and learn. Um,
2: so many things, you know, practicing, learning how to compete and win, but also, you know, dealing with losing yeah getting yourself back up and you know i I
1: also
0: love i also love you in like physically um learning how to listen to your body um Mm -hmm. if like you're burning out if maybe like physically your body's saying like no stop take a break you know Mm -hmm. refresh Mm -hmm. heal i think that's all very important to leaders too
2: absolutely absolutely Mm
0: -hmm. well tell me a little bit more about spark the journey it sounds like you you got brought on as the first paid team member, um, and it was more of a working board. So, yeah, I mean, share share the share the story, please.
2: So, our mission has evolved over the years. It's always been centered around you know we're in the Washington D.C. area and working with Black and Brown young people who are from low-income communities and helping them achieve economic mobility through. Um, Mentoring towards college and career success. Um, and as I said, the, the specific program has changed over time. That's one of, one of the reasons we've been able to stay vibrant and grow consistently year after year, um, for more now three decades. Our mission today is to provide mentoring in a community of support, you know, that helps young people, um, chart their own pathway to college and career success. Um, historically we've had a you know a, a, a outsized focus on college enrollment and um uh, you know for you know four-year degrees as the as the pathway to economic mobility for young people
0: yeah
2: we're now um you know we're still doing that work and now have a um increased focus also on two-year degrees and workforce certifications and helping young people um uh, who may not be you know pursuing a four year degree,
0: yeah, but I think
2: are yeah you know, trying think, to achieve economic think, mobility through the workforce directly.
0: Yeah, times have changed a little bit. I think people are finding a lot of more value in those those trades. Um, and I mean, I don't know if you have. How did you guys? I mean, how did you come to discover that that shift?
2: Well, we have seen, and I had seen, you know, because I've been doing this work for so long. Um, I've seen some gaps with our alumni uh, who, you know, had done all of the right things and achieved degrees and uh, made the financial investment and, you know, student loans and, and, you know, I was concerned that, you know, many of our graduates were, were not achieving economic mobility or developing some, some element of wealth because they had so much debt. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as uh, in their twenties and early thirties. So that's become an increased, it, you know, has been a, a focus of ours for a while, but the pandemic really accelerated this need, you know, so we had been seeing in 2018 and 2019 uh, our more students, you know, opting not to go directly into college right out of high school. And then the pandemic, you know, um, really precipitated that. So we've been looking for ways to provide more workforce training and services and um, and doing a lot of that work through partnerships now and trying to connect our students to programs that offer great connections to employers and training programs. Um, A big one that we're working with is Europe um, in the national capital area. But um, we have a, a collaborative called the Talent for Tomorrow Alliance of five nonprofits who are all working with a similar population. And, and finding ways to um, join forces to get better outcomes for the young people that we're serving and to be a little bit more efficient in the ways that we're doing it.
0: I love that. Tell me again the name of that collaborative.
2: We're the Talent for Tomorrow Alliance.
0: Amazing. And
2: and so, yeah, our, our idea is that by working together that, um, you know, we can make things a little bit easier for ourselves, but more importantly, help young people achieve because you know, we're all working in areas that are uh, have deep, deep roots or, you know, systemic racism and income inequality. These are things that are really tough for a single organization to um, deal with on their own. Mm-hmm. And And so these issues are complex and it requires, you know, if you're a direct service organization, you have to be streamlined and focused on doing a certain thing and try not to be, you know, too widespread in what you're doing. The needs of the young people are much more widespread than that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. How did, I mean, this conversation comes up all the time partnership and collaboration in the nonprofit space and how you need to not see people who have similar, maybe similar missions, but definitely similar similar visions as competitors in the space and strategic partnerships are, where a lot of consultants and people in the sector will find the biggest deficit in, in the sector and like it's limited potential. How did you, how did the five organizations that are now in this alliance come together? Did you all have to admit um, what you were the best at and what you weren't the best at and drop that programming from your own internal structure to allow the other person to thrive in that space and then for you to thrive in yours?
2: Yeah, that's right. I think we, We came together because we each had a specific expertise in a thing that, you know, the other organizations didn't want to try to replicate. Mm -hmm. And so I think by aligning around our strengths, you know, we can um, support each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, We, you know, we get a lot of encouragement in the nonprofit sector to partner, but not a lot of support. do that right Mm -hmm. and so it is hard you know because we have to compete sometimes for resources whether those are you know funders volunteers um employees you know all of the things right yeah and and so it's 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 not easy
0: yeah so i mean you did mention that one of the benefits of this alliance was maybe some things became easier, but mainly the benefit was to increase the impact that you were having in the areas of the community that you were wanting to have impact. Am I hearing you say that it didn't increase support of your nonprofit organizations? Or do you feel that the Alliance formed like stronger trust with donors across all five organizations?
2: Oh, I think donors are responding. Um, I think the challenge is in getting you know, significant seed funding to cover all of the extra time it takes to build uh, the, lake the work. partnerships. Yeah. 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 To cover all of the staff time.
0: Yeah. Um, that makes sense. So it
2: it's is. a big investment for yeah. us because we all have to meet our individual missions um, and we're accountable, you know, to all of the stakeholders for, for all of that work. And at the same time, you know, we're busy sort of developing this new initiative.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Nothing new there, right? Like the daily work, always stopping you from long-term planning. It's like to say, I mean, I think everyone struggles with um, forcing themselves to carve, our, ca- carve out that time for that strategic planning stuff. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I, th- I feel like I totally derailed your story, but um, I mean, what was it like being the organization's first employee, only employee?
2: um uh, challenging <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i was really i was young and inexperienced and um and determined and i knew that there was a lot that i didn't know um and so i really tried to surround myself with people who could be helpful um you know i had a lot of support from our board you know we were had a very hands-on board in those early years. That was really helpful, pulled in, you know, really terrific people to come and work with us. I didn't, I wasn't alone for very long, just one year. And then we hired a second person and then our third year, we were able to hire, you know, a third person, but it was slow moving in the beginning. And, you know, we just had to commit to, um, learning and, and not being, you know, I think again, that comes from the Sports background that we talked about is sort of not being afraid to uh to fail and to try um, and just keep building and putting one step ahead you know one step in front of the other and 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 keep moving and um, we've continued to do that and yeah. so you know we're we're serving you know when I started we were serving about fifty students today we're serving um, right now five hundred and thirty um we have thirty three employees and are are continuing to grow and and try to have a bigger impact in the DC area.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. How old were you when you started?
2: I had just well, I was just turning twenty nine. Yeah. Okay, yeah. incredible. I'm fifty. Yeah. yeah,
0: incredible. Very cool. And you're still with the same organization. Yes, that's special.
2: Yes, we just rebranded. um We were Capital Partners for Education. Now we're Spark the Journey.
0: Okay, very nice. <laughs> Um, when you were the only paid employee, you mentioned that, I mean, your board was serving probably in obviously volunteer service, but like it was a working board. Were you always working with volunteers?
2: We were always working with volunteers. That's a component of the program that I've, uh, really emphasized. I thought that that was a way in which, you know, I said when I, we were offering scholarships when I came um to spark and you know i saw that even with the scholarships that the young people we were serving you know you know had a lot of um challenges that were not able to be met you know by their schools and and their families and and i thought that with you know volunteer support that we could offer them a lot more guidance and coaching yeah. And so it was not just the personal support that we offer, you know, in our one-to-one mentoring model, um, you know, where the young people get guidance and coaching um, on an individual basis, but also offering programming, you know, whether it's college preparatory, um, you know, SAT classes or helping to explore the college application process study skills, um, support, financial literacy, whatever the um, career exploration, all of the other things that, um, you know, higher income kids already have sort of built into their networks and their families and that our, you know, our students didn't have. Mm-hmm. And so it, was, it, it mentoring and additional um, college and career programming, it's made a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, our students have done very well um, in school, very, very proud of them, um, but 60% of our students complete college, which is about three times the rate of, of similar students uh, nationally.
1: Hi, this is Kevin Burgess, the editor of the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast, and I'd like to tell you about today's sponsor, DonorBox. DonorBox has a simple mission, to do everything possible to support nonprofit organizations in their efforts to make a difference. From hitting your first campaign goal to growing into a sustainable and thriving nonprofit, DonorBox makes it easy for organizations to maximize donations and attract more supporters. From charities to social impact groups to faith-based organizations, DonorBox delivers a simple, seamless donation experience for your supporters. So visit DonorBox.org to sign up with no setup or monthly fees and no contract required. That's DonorBox.org. Now let's get back to today's episode.
0: Everyone has heard this before. Like It takes a village um, to raise a child. And like you said, like schools and families aren't able to always provide everything for a child to set them up for success. Um, especially in higher education, that's a whole other story, but I remember I was actually in social work prior to, um, to nonprofit management and I had the opportunity to work for, it was technically a youth intercept program. So it was for high school and middle school students who are first time offenders, um, very young children who, if they completed the the character building program that they would get it right, like expunged from the record and, and yeah. yeah. That. So one of the programs that we did was actually inside of a middle or a middle and a high school, and so I had a girl that I was mentoring, and uh, she came to school or she came to one of our appointments, and she had broken glasses. The middle of the frame was just broken. Yeah. And it was taped with white
1: tape around her glasses. Yeah.
0: And I was like, "What happened to your glasses?" And she said, "Oh, they broke like during like practice or gym or something like that." And I said um well like are you are you getting a new pair and she was like no like my mom doesn't have like money for it and um so she just taped them and i was like how traumatizing for a teen girl to come to school with taped glasses yeah like you can like that cannot like and i was just just like this is like this is exactly where it takes a village, like the school's not gonna write, like give her new right. glasses. The family can't give her new glasses. And I said, Well, I'm I'm a social worker, so I guess I'm gonna go and like figure out how to get this child glasses, right? So I just walked, I like walked into a couple of local eyeglass shops and I said, What are your cheapest like pair <laughs> of glasses?
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um and they said, Oh, we do consults for 30 bucks. And then if you do a consult, you get a free pair of glasses. And I'm like, seriously, 30 bucks? Like, yeah, my nonprofit will cover that. Like,
2: yeah, yeah. And we do a similar thing, actually, Delaney. So we have a, uh, a, we call it an emergency fund. And since 2020, we had a modest fund in the past. um, And since 2020, we've increased it, uh, I want to say by five or 600%. Wow. um, Because, you know, we've, we've seen increased need. It started at the beginning of the pandemic when you know many of our students their you know their families and they lost their jobs yeah and remember and that was the pandemic started in March we had a crisis of a lot of families not being able to make the April rent and so we raised a bunch of money to be able to distribute funds to families to be able to help them pay their rent and get groceries and we've just continued to do that so we we also, you know, do things like glasses and computers and, um, but even some of the basic things and it, you know, it, it's hard to expect a young person to achieve if they're hungry, if yeah. they don't have basic needs being met, you know, you, you, you can't think about higher order things if, you know, until those basic needs are met. And so, yeah. um, you know, we've really prioritized that. And I think it's made a big difference, um, for, for our students.
0: Yeah. I think there's a lot of stories like that where people think uh, what a nonprofit is doing is not meaningful um, and not only just donors, but just, I mean, the, the outside community looking in. I've had situations where I hear people talking about like toy drives, like maybe during Christmas and they're doing toy drives for children and families and even kids like up through middle school and high school, like everyone needs to be able to play and have fun. And I literally heard people say, I'm not giving like you money if- to buy toys for people like they don't need toys, right? Like they need clothes, they need food. um, They need access to education and stuff like that. But if you look at psychology and development of the brain, like active play is so fundamental. Mm -hmm. Like you Mm -hmm. cannot function. Like you can't just like, like that was actually just as important as food, water, shelter. Um, And so, yeah, I think, yeah, it all goes to show that. Um, like the nonprofit is the expert and i think that's why they're doing what they're doing so super important
2: yeah it, you know it, it's important to understand too in in washington dc you know the amount of income inequality that we have white families have 81 times the wealth of black families in oh. in, in, in the dc area you know we, we have a lot of diversity in yeah. in the dc area but but we're segregated in terms of where we live and and you know all of the other things all you know by race so you know there's a lot of need in the communities that we serve and so we're just doing all we can to give our give our students a level playing field
0: yeah yeah absolutely i would say probably grand rapids has a similar landscape um in that respect so in the past 22 years um in your time with spark the journey you've grown with paid staff, have you, as you've said, you've been able to add that extra team member every year. Um, as you've grown in size with your volunteer scope as well, um, I'm curious how you guys were able to grow your paid workforce um, and if there were specific strategies that you used for budgeting. Um, we talk about all the time, like kind of breaking down the barriers of like stereotyping nonprofit workers as it's okay for them to make less. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, What are your thoughts on that? Did you guys put any strategy in place that you could pay working wages, pay attracting talent that are getting paid what they deserve to be getting paid? Um, Anything, any comments there that could help our listeners?
2: Well, I think every organization needs to develop their own philosophy around compensation. Ours has been trying to make sure we understand what is competitive in Mm -hmm. our market and knowing that cost of living is about as high in DC as anywhere in the country, one of the highest. And so we try to be competitive and a little bit better than the averages. And that's something that our board supports as well. But then that also means that you maybe can't hire as many people. So you also have to make sure that you're not just overloading fewer people, right? Right. More work.
0: Right. And Um, like you said- it's a tough balance. Yeah. And it can be slow and steady. You don't need to hire five people right away. Yeah, like you said, I mean, you just have to have that patience to, yeah. to do it the right way.
2: And so it's really, uh, it's up to the board to ensure that, you know, that the organization is maintaining enough reserve so that, um, you know, they're not at risk if you lose, you know, a, a funder. I remember in 2008, 2009, during the um, you know, beginning of the Great Recession, there was a real panic and a lot of people lost their jobs initially um and a lot of nonprofits lost funding and there was a mass extinction of nonprofits in dc sort of a culling of the herd you know so many who just didn't have any reserves they were month to month and that i, I think demonstrated that you know a lot of nonprofits really needed to do better planning and you know have a uh, you know i think a good best practice is three to six months of of reserves at a minimum right to be able to operate um if you were to lose all of your funding mm-hmm. um and so we've we've been much more even conservative than that at spark but that's really something that our our board has
0: mandated yeah all smart smart choices it sounds like you mentioned a little bit about uh, like you said, when the pandemic hit, people were losing jobs. Nonprofits closed. Um, I saw that you have also mentioned before that, like millennials and these younger generations, were even more strongly disadvantaged by the economy as they were coming out into, into their careers. Like you said, trying to start going to college and then were so upset that they that their college experience wasn't what had been promised to them, right? Like this expectation of being on campus and getting to know people and going to fun events and doing all that things were like completely changed. How can our listeners be be mentors to this generation and younger generations and specifically um, to inspire involvement in the philanthropic sector?
2: Wow. Um, You know, we need volunteers to continue to step up. I think it's actually since the pandemic become a little bit harder. to find people who are willing to consistently give their time. Yeah. We're seeing that, um, you know, we've been doing this for 30 years, um, since the pandemic people who, you know, even those who do want to commit are looking for shorter duration okay. commitments. And we don't completely understand all of the, all of the reasons why, but it, it is becoming harder to get volunteers these days and, yeah, and, um, You know, and that's a shame because that's at a time when you know need is as high as ever. Coming out of the the pandemic, you know, a lot of people are hurting. You know, we have a crisis in mental health with young people, and you know, the communities we support, lower income communities, are are hit hardest. And so, you know, I think. We just have to keep working and trying to encourage people and find ways to meet them where they are.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, that has to be one of the ways that you've retained volunteers for so many years. I mean, have you guys looked at changing the structure of your volunteer? We,
2: we you know, our team is so, so thoughtful and creative and always looking for ways to be responsive to what we're seeing. Um, so we used to do a lot more things in person and, you know, we, we were forced to overnight to have to take our whole program online in March 2020. Yeah. Um, you know, when we tried to bring people back into person, we're seeing that we're the, the, um, the rates of, of, uh, participation are lower for our in-person things than they were pre-pandemic. So we're being more creative with our, um, with our online curricula and trying, you know, to make things more interactive and, and bringing on other tools to, to really, I guess I said, meet people where they are. Um, offering incentives, fun things, um, yeah. some more group group mentoring types of things. So um, we're doing everything that we can, and and you know, admittedly, don't have all the answers quite yet. Still yeah. working through it.
0: Yeah, of course. Um, well, we always try to include a segment at the end called "Good News for Nonprofits" because there okay. is good being done. Um, what is some good news that you can share with the nonprofit sector?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, in light of some of the hardship that I, that I touched on, right, the need, the increased need, um, and also, you know, in 2020, you know, I think there was a lot of pain around, um, racial justice issues and, you know, following the killings of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Maude Arbery, et cetera. You know, we've seen that that funders are, I think, are being responsive in a in a different way. So I like think more funders are um, offering general operating support, you know, as opposed yeah. to being, you know, having their support being restricted to things. Yeah. Um I'm seeing that the funding community is um, putting a greater priority on seeing organizations that are working in communities of color having leadership yeah. of color. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um so I'm seeing more changes in the nonprofit sector um, than perhaps in in corporate America, and it's encouraging that you know for nonprofits that our funders are being at least many of our funders are are getting on board with things that probably should have been in place a long time ago. So that's encouraging, and that means that you know folks are listening. But we have to keep we have to keep pushing, right? We have to keep shining a light on the things that that aren't working as well and there's a deep deep connection between you know sort of what happens in corporate america and what makes it to the nonprofit sector yeah. and i think we just have to keep putting pressure on those who have power in making sure that that power is becoming you know is distributed
0: yeah yeah of course definitely supporting uh Black and Brown led nonprofits who are also supporting BIPOC community. This is definitely something that nonprofit hub is trying to focus more on as well. So I love that. That's something that you mentioned. Cause I do see, I do see the emphasis too. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Kari. Any last words for the nonprofit hub tribe?
2: I just thank everybody for all the work that they're doing in our communities. It's important, important work. We need more and more, um, leaders, you know, pushing us forward. And I just appreciate everyone and wish you all the best.
0: Yes. Wishing you guys all the best. We'll talk to you guys next week on the next episode of the nonprofit radio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast episode. For more resources on fundraising, marketing, and all things nonprofit, be sure to check out the number one nonprofit toolbox at nonprofithub.org. We hope you'll join us next week for another episode of the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast.